This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. So as the weather warms up, we're outside gardening or doing yard work. There are so many opportunities for skin issues, right? And for me, it's always a mystery to know what's going to irritate my skin, but I'm definitely out there itching and scratching. But the good news is active skin repair always seems to save the day. Active skin repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, and other types of skin damage. It's also safe and non-toxic, making it suitable for use on all skin types, all parts of the body, and even on rosacea, eczema, and acne-prone skin. Here's what I want you to do. Visit ActiveSkinRepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and get 20% off your order when you use code JOYFUL. Again, that's www.ActiveSkinRepair.com. Find out more about the product and get 20% off your order when you use the code JOYFUL. Hey, welcome to the Joyful Courage Podcast, a place for inspiration and transformation as we try and keep it together while parenting our tweens and teens. This is real work, people. And when we can focus on our own growth and nurturing the connection with our kids, we can move through the turbulence in a way that allows for relationships to remain intact. My name is Casey O'Rourke. I am your fearless host. I'm a positive discipline trainer, space holder coach, and the adolescent lead at Sproutable. I am also the mama to a 20-year-old daughter and 17-year-old son walking right beside you on this path of raising our kids with positive discipline and conscious parenting. This show is meant to be a resource to you, and I work really hard to keep it real, transparent, and authentic so that you feel seen and supported. Today is an interview, and I have no doubt that what you hear will be useful to you. Please don't forget, sharing truly is caring. If you love today's show, please pass the link around. Snap a screenshot, post it on your socials, or text it to your friends. Together, we can make an even bigger impact on families all around the globe. I'm so glad that you're here. Enjoy the show. All right. Welcome back, listeners. I am excited to introduce my guest today. I will be talking to Chad Dion Lassiter. Chad is a nationally recognized expert in race relations, peacemaking, social work, and parenting. He is the current executive director of the Pennsylvania Human Relations Commission, where he has legislatively delegated authority to investigate complaints filed alleging unlawful discrimination in the areas of employment, housing, commercial property, education, and or regarding public accommodations. Chad is a co-founder and the current president of the University of Pennsylvania's School of Social Policy and Practices Black Men at Penn, the first Ivy League Black male group of social workers. Today, we are going to talk about how the holiday season can be a great time for parents to model the practice of tolerance, empathy, and understanding their kids will need to be successful in our multicultural world. Hi, Chad. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. And thank you for what you do. You do have an extensive bio, and I didn't even share all of it. Talk to me about how parenting fits inside of the context of the work that you do. 
Well, first and foremost, let me just reiterate, I'm humbled and I'm honored to be here. And I say with the extensive bio, foundational and fundamental to who I am, I'm just a servant leader that sees the possibilities and all humanity on every side of this gender line as people you know, identify themselves and certainly on all sides of the color line. So I think I start from the standpoint of families are cultural carriers. And some mm-hmm. of the most intense, but also some of the most rewarding conversations happen around our rituals, our family gatherings around a nice meal. And so looking at families as cultural carriers, I think it's both and and not either or. If we're talking about a Thanksgiving, if we're talking about a Christmas, if we're talking about Memorial Day, if we're talking about Labor Day, whenever we're talking about family gatherings, I think it's an opportunity for parents in the space that we're in now. A lot of college students just ended up coming home for Thanksgiving, will be coming home for Christmas. It's an opportunity for parents to, one, check on the psyche of their children. I think touch is a great thing. Being able to hug your children uh, as soon as they come through the door. Certainly, you want to ask them about how their grades are. But what about the psyche of who they are? How are you coping when oftentimes they have social media readily available at their disposal as it relates to some of the challenges we see, not solely in the Middle East, challenges that you may see in the democracy, challenges that they may see within themselves, within their friends. And so I think it's very important for parents to have conversations with their children of all ages about, hey, we're going to be entertaining, but you're part of this context as well. So Mm -hmm. extending the opportunity for them to invite their friends over and possibly their friends, families over, parents over as well, I think is very essential. Mm, I love that phrasing, families as cultural characters. Is that what you said? Carriers, not characters. I wrote it down as carriers, right? Yeah, and I really appreciate too, my listeners are parents of teenagers and some of those teenagers have left for college maybe for the first time. And yeah, we are coming into this space of getting to receive them back in the home and see them and be with them. And I love, as I was listening to you, you know, I was thinking, yeah, we get to see the whites of their eyes, right? We get to really tune in, you know, through communication, through energy and really feel out how things are going. And I work with a lot of people whose kids are going off to college and are really struggling. And so creating that home culture, that home environment as one of, you know, curiosity and acceptance and love, I think is so powerful. And it happens, you know, even before they walk through the door. And yeah, family gatherings. I mean, we are in the holiday season. And I just want to acknowledge to listeners, whatever the holiday is that you center during this period of time, you know, we have expectations and we have expectations that are spoken. We have expectations that aren't spoken, that we're not explicit about. And man, there are all sorts of ways that our expectation of cheer, you know, can actually turn into kind of some messy drama. And then we're like, why Why does it always end up like this? Right? (laughs) You're right. And I think it's very important that we focus on how the genuineness of the enjoyment of the moment, that the primary goal is to enjoy one another's company, right? Mm-hmm. Certainly, you're going to have those conversations because, you know, once again, families as cultural carriers may be saying, what do you think about the Middle East? What do you mm-hmm. think about Trump? What do you think about the ever-growing demographics? Young people who are coming back from college may actually engage in those conversations 
against the backdrop of what their major is. So if I'm in college mm-hmm. and I'm majoring in sociology and I come back home, whether it's a rural area, suburban area, whether it's an urban area, and I'm learning about gentrification, I'm learning yeah. about redlining. I may go against what my family is saying at the table with regards to, no, I think that, you know, them putting up the new affordable housing is good. I may say, no, you know, they're putting up affordable housing, but are they doing feasibility studies around environmental toxins or environmental racism? So I think it's good that conversations like this occur, but it's okay to say, let's enjoy one another. Let it Mm. not be heavy. Get out the monopoly. Get out the scrabble. Get out the Uno. Get out the Pictionary. (laughs) You know, let's put our phones down. Let's have an algorithm of love, an algorithm mm. of peace, an algorithm of fluid and organic conversation. And we're not talking about we need to stay away from those polarizing conversations. But I think during the holiday season, young people are always on go. Parents are also oftentimes on go. I think we do need to create the space for young people who are coming back from college or, you know, coming back from, you know, the military and various other places to share some of the enthusiasm or some of the pain, some of the angst, some of the things that they may be dealing with. I think all of that is important in context. I don't think that we should script anything, nor do I think should we run away from, quote unquote, the racial, the gender, the economic elephants that may be amongst us. But I think that there's ways that, you know, we can discuss some of these high level things and we can do it with levels of truth, levels of kindness, and ultimately levels of love. Yeah. Well, and you shared with me, you know, something that was important for you to talk about is how to have conversations with our kids, because all of this is emotional, right? Like I think about my own experience with my parents and especially coming home from college after having taken some classes around feminism. And I remember trying to have a conversation with my dad and he can like quote the economist and I'm all emotion, right? And in this space of how can you not feel the way that I feel? And he's like, well, here are some, you know, facts according to him. And that's kind of like the extreme, you know, I don't bring up feminism around the Thanksgiving table. I know (laughs) I'm now 50 years old. I, you know, recognize that there are certain things that can launch me back into my 19 year old self that I (laughs) have evolved from in that dynamic. You know, what are some ways, because kids will, you know, be exposed to family members. And while I believe that the listeners of this podcast and the people that are in my community, the Joyful Courage community, really are focused on growth and acceptance and love and perspective, you know, that doesn't mean the entire extended family has been in this ongoing personal growth and development workshop. Yeah. (laughs) And so... Sometimes, you know, unintentionally or maybe intentionally, but I think unintentionally, I think everybody is coming from a place of love as they know it. Kids can find themselves in conversations that are, you know, they don't even have to be political. They just could be pushing on places that our kids feel really strongly and grandparents or extended family don't really realize how hurtful sometimes things come out. How do we prepare our kids emotionally? for maybe messiness in the extended family gathering? That's a great question. I think first and foremost, one of the things that we need to do is before we get into the high level conversations, the conversations that may be polarizing, the conversations that may be uncomfortable, certainly a young person may be coming home 
depending on the politics of the family, they may have grown up under the guise of Anglo conformity, acculturation, Americanization. They're coming home and they're just like, hey, listen, I'm learning terms about white privilege. Mm -hmm. I'm learning terms about white demographic shifts. Someone else may come home and they're saying, hey, listen, you know, I know that we grew up in this kind of household and this type of community, but, you know, I'm learning more about justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. African-Americans may come home. Young person may come home and say, you know, when pastor, when I was growing up, mentioned that God made Adam and Eve, and he certainly didn't make Adam and Steve, and he certainly didn't make Eve and Evelyn, that's homophobic. Mm -hmm. And I've been doing some research, and I'm kind of learning, mom and dad, that, you know, aspects of the Black church is deeply rooted in homophobic behavior and hate speech. Oh, and by the way, uh, I'm LGBT, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think... We don't run from those, but I think one of the things we do is let's do an internal check-in, right? Before the festivities begin, we can ask young people, hey, how's your academics coming along? How are you negotiating multiple identities of being in the fraternity, a sorority, a sports team, working you know, a job, taking four classes? How are stress levels? Do the school have outlets for you to you know, really talk to someone if you're faced with, with stress? We move from there to like, like fun things, like it's good to see you, you know? Give me a hug, you know, give me a high five. And these are just mere suggestions that I've done with my family. You're letting the young people know that you're going to be a host. We want to make sure that you understand the importance of it. We're going to have all these conversations you want to have, but we're also going to have our traditional rituals. So in my family, Thanksgiving, we pray. We also recognize that we have people who are at the Thanksgiving table, Casey, who are atheists and agnostic. We embrace that. We then go into a rendition of what are you thankful for? You'll have some family members that say, I'm not thankful for anything. And that's their expression. Oh, I feel so sad for those people. <laughs> I, I do. But remember, <laughs> there are people who come to these festivals and they come to these family rituals and they come with brokenness yeah. for whatever reason. Maybe that yeah. person just went through a divorce or maybe every Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner, they've come to the household with their significant other and now they're going through something. And that's perfectly fine. So I think with young people, we're pushing them to recognize that they're hosts, that they're diplomats, that, you know, we're going to have some fun. We're going to embrace some of the family rituals. But then I think we do set space for having conversations. And I think that one of the things about families is no matter how volatile the conversation is, I think the main thing that's in the room is a person who will allow for cooler heads to prevail. Right. So when I went away to Johnson C. Smith in 1990, it was a historical black college university. I was learning a lot. I come back home and I'm like, mom, dad, let me tell you about Martin Luther King and Ida B. Wells and Fannie Lou Hamer and W.E.B. Du Bois and all this stuff. And my mom said, go ahead, son. She didn't seem excited. And I said, mom, you don't seem excited. She said, you learned this here in our home and mm -hmm. you learned this in our community. But seems like you want to kind of like share with us that you kind of know some stuff. So go ahead, son. <laughs> And so I stopped and I said, mom, it's good to be home for Thanksgiving and give me a hug. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, because we're excited, you know, about a lot of things. Yeah. The other thing that I will recommend to your listening audience is that it can be heavy or it doesn't have to be heavy. You set the climate, right? You set the yeah. climate. But I think whatever the rituals are, some rituals for Thanksgiving, there's the traditional Detroit Lions, Green Bay Packers game, you know, the traditional Dallas Cowboys, America's team. Uh, though I'm in Philadelphia, go Eagles, E-A-G-L-E-S. Um, I know about you Phillies fans. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I think one of the things that I like is the intergenerational dialogue. And so I would yeah. share with your listening audience that we encourage younger family members to participate in those family rituals. 
They should be able to bring the food that they like. They should be able to integrate that. They should be able to talk about topics. And I think as elders, the elders should be able to listen to the young people because oftentimes we say, well, we didn't do that during our generation. Okay, well, your Mm -hmm. generation was a far gone generation, but it's still an appreciated generation. And young people, they have some context to some of the pretext of some of the things that they're doing in the moment as well. Hey, friends, as a podcast listener myself, I always get so excited to share when I find a new show that I think is super useful. So today I want to tell you about Understood Explains. This is a podcast that tackles one important topic per season, and this season is all about navigating individualized education plans and is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Urtube. Getting the support our kids need in school can feel tricky, and we aren't always sure what it is that they need. When I listened to the episode titled, Does My Child Need an IEP? It offered up so much useful information that I could really see supporting parents who are in this consideration. The host is so knowledgeable and really breaks down the content in a way that helps listener go from completely overwhelmed to actually starting to feel empowered. Other episodes in the series highlight the difference between IEPs and 504 plans, as well as a whole episode that busts common myths about special education. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Understood Explains. So check it out. You won't be sorry. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Thank God, spring into summer is my favorite time of year. After turning 50 last September, I've been really working on my physical health and well being and can honestly say that I am feeling better in my body than I have felt in a very long time. Yes, credit goes to movement and working out, but even more credit goes to how I'm feeding my body. That's why I love Factor. I fuel up with Factor's no prep, no mess meals, 35 different meal choices, and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. I always have a new flavor to explore. It's amazing. You can crush your wellness goals this May, keep time in the kitchen to a minimum, and enjoy effortless support for the lifestyle you want to be living with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust from Factor. Head over to factormeals.com slash joyful50 and use the code joyful50 to get 50% off your first First box plus 20% off your next month. That's code joyful50 at factormeals.com slash joyful50. Again, that's 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Yes, yes, yes. Join me. Join me in the health revolution and feel really good this summer. I have a question for you. So I'm thinking about, I have clients that are in my mind right now who have a transgender daughter and their extended family is pretty conservative. And I know that there's other families that are in this exact situation, right? Where the parents, the child's core unit, there's acceptance, there's curiosity, there's full, you know, we are here for you. We love you no matter what, or not. We love you no matter what we love you, right? And we know that now we're going to step into this larger family gathering. And I've talked with parents about their fear 
for their child, you know, do you feel like that it's important for parents to, and these aren't kids that have gone to college and come home, but like 14, 15, 16 year old, do you feel like it is an important role for parents to reach out to extended family members and kind of give a little heads up? Or is it more of an in the moment facilitation of conversation? What are your thoughts on, you know, some good practices around how to be an advocate for your kid while navigating these kind of gatherings? Yeah, no, I think everything you said is powerful. And I think that each family has to decide what's beneficial for them based on having a pulse on their particular family. Mm -hmm. In the African-American tradition that I come out of, I've had occurrences where a person in the family would come over with Thanksgiving with their same-sex partner and the family was blown away. Like the family's like, nobody ended up giving us a heads up. And the response was, well, why do we have to give a heads up? We didn't give a heads up when, you know, Carl came in with Michelle. Mm -hmm. You know, nobody gave a heads up when Wayne came in with Amber. Mm -hmm. But then there have been other occurrences within our family where someone said, hey, want to let you all know that, you know, Keenan is bringing a white girl by. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, my grandmother would say or my mother would say, well, what's the big deal? You know, and uh, the young lady comes through and uncles are like, oh, man, that's an attractive white girl. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and our tradition is not vis-a-vis -vis attractive versus a black sure, girl sure. or a black young lady. It's just, you know, cultural norms and things are accepted. I think that one of the things we have to really focus on to your question is that we live in an unpredictable world. Mm -hmm. and then that combined with social isolation and alienation are at the heart of a lot of conflict. And so the family member who's conservative towards the 12-year-old or the 14-year-old who last Thanksgiving may have identified one way but identifies differently, I think that family should, you know, address it to the best of their ability. Some families, they address it straight on, right, head on. Like, we're going to unpackage this. Other families, it's just an unwritten rule. You don't address that because, you know, we're Catholic or we're this or we're that. Mm -hmm. My advice would be utilizing the family rituals in the conversations to simply say, we're going to have a discussion. What's people's perspective? Mm -hmm. And then what we're going to do is we're going to tell you what our perspective is. And I think the child, if they're comfortable from a strengths-based perspective, needs to be in that position. Once again, I think your question is very poignant and it's difficult for a lot of people, not really difficult for me because I'm a licensed clinical social worker. I'm a therapist. So my family is the opposite. My family is like, listen, we're just trying to enjoy Thanksgiving. Don't therapize us. <laughs> but I think that once again, we want to have young people be part of the festivities. We want yeah. them to know that they are the host. We want them to be diplomatic. We want them to know that there's levels of courtesy. So, you know, the young people can answer the doors. The young people can take the coats. They can hang up the coats. The young people can do some of those things. With the conversations, I think that the young people should have a degree of conversations that they want to talk about. Hey, mom, dad, you know, grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle. I think one of the topics that we should talk about as a family is how every time Kenny comes over with Keith, you know, the family seems to ostracize him. Or mm -hmm. whenever someone comes over and they don't have children. And the reason why I'm touching upon that is because you know, in my own family, there are couples who they get married. And the first thing some people in the family say is, when do you plan to have children? Man, mm -hmm. the ink is not even dry on the marriage certificate. 
you know? Right. And they may not be planning on having children. May not be planning. Or if you've been married five years, when are you going to have children? What if the response is, we can't? Yeah, we can't or we're not. Yeah. I love thinking about you brought me this language, like how to host like a diplomat. I love that. And I think that sometimes, especially I was just talking to somebody else who's a middle school teacher and he was commenting on, you know, just that he's taught middle school for 25 years and just the change in young people's ability to communicate because of these little devices that we're spending so much time on. I think there's also, and I want listeners to remember, we make a lot of assumptions when we just say, hey, you need to make sure you talk to your grandparents or you need to make sure you talk to so-and-so. You know, there's families that spend time together a lot and see each other throughout the year. And then there's families where it's just these big holidays. And so there isn't necessarily a solid relationship that's been built. And something that I talk about with my kids is like, Hey, let's talk about how it could sound to strike up a conversation with grandpa. Like, here's what I know is going on in his life to kind of give, and my listeners know this language, to give them some things to have in their back pocket so that when the opportunity does present itself, they can think, oh yeah, I practiced this with mom, or I talked about this with mom. I know that grandpa loves golf, which he does, or he loves fly fishing. So that's, you know, I could ask when was your last fishing trip and how did it go? And what do you love about it? Right. And so I think there's some taking time for training that can happen as well when we're talking about these big family gatherings. Cause I know, I know, cause I have an 18 year old and a 20 year old. I know that I have expectations and I am making assumptions about how they're going to interact. And it is always useful to bring that up beforehand. Like, hey, you know what it's like at Aunt Darlene's? You know, is there anything that you are feeling uncomfortable about? Or no. Yeah, Yeah. to kind of open up those conversations. Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And some of those in my back pocket things could be families having conversations. The person that you mentioned, Aunt Darlene, she got a promotion. You may want to congratulate her. You may want to ask her, you know, how does it feel that she may partner in the law firm? You know, if the grandmother's coming over, hey, listen, your grandmother's going to return 90. You know, we're having a hard time with her seeing the benefits of having a 90th birthday party. She loves her grandchildren, her great grandchildren. This is what we want you to do. So we're coaching. But to the whole aspect of what you and I are talking about, we're really talking about joining, but we're talking about doing it in a very joyful way. We're really talking about making sure that our young people have a space and a language where they can have the courage to have the conversation. And the courage to muster up the courage is not just a sticking point. It could be something where, you know, I can speak to my aunt as a 18-year-old who's going to graduate from high school that I don't want to go to college, right? Mm -hmm. And so we also should be talking to the adults in the family that, hey, when you come over, you know, Susie has been kind of down lately, you know, her and her boyfriend broke up. That I can say, Susie, let me tell you something. You know how many times your aunt broke up with the young men when I was in high school? You're going to be in love and you're going to fall out of love, but hopefully you're going to find love, right? And so once again, those are those kind of rituals and every family has that go-to person. Now, I'd be remiss for your listening audience if I didn't talk about other things that you should have in your back pocket. In your back pocket from a therapeutic standpoint, You have to also look at the interactions of young people from multiple ages. Oftentimes, families will say, go over there and give your grandfather a hug. Go over there and give your grandmother a hug. Go over there and sit on Uncle Johnny's lap. 
a lot of families have hidden secrets. They have pathologies. Mm -hmm. There may be a generational sexual assault, generational sexual molestation. When that young person says, no, 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 and that parent is for observe that young person. That young person mm -hmm. may not want to hug grandpa. Maybe grandpa has done something. Young people, they have a queasy feeling. They kind of know certain things. And then just in full disclosure, in my Barry family, about 15 years ago, maybe 20, Casey, and listen, audience, my grandmother would oftentimes tell one of my great uncles to pray over the turkey. And I was 16, and I said, this is the last Thanksgiving he should be able to pray over the turkey. He's molested four women in the family, and him praying over the turkey is not going to change the context of what he's done to the women in his family. Mm -hmm. I never knew that I had the courage. And maybe that is what fomented me to recognize the first rule of social work within the code of ethics, which is confidentiality. Mm. You know, I kept their confidences while I was growing up, but I breached confidentiality from that standpoint at the dinner table. But it wasn't like I said which of the four women they were. But the older adults, Casey and listening audience, they knew who these adults were. Yeah. So my other uncle said about my great uncle, what? And they asked him to leave for Thanksgiving and he got the help that he so sorely needed. So I think that the last thing I'll add to having things in our back pocket, we need to make sure that we have yes and thank you and generosity and it's good to see you. And if we genuinely mean it, hey, grandmom, I love you. But we should definitely turn off our phones as best we possibly can because we're so attracted to technology. And we should also have a moment of silence. I know a lot of families, they have a moment of silence. We did one uh, last Christmas where we had a moment of silence for the world. We had a moment of silence for the country. We had a moment of silence for where we live in Philadelphia. And then we had a moment of silence for ourselves. And within mm -hmm. ourselves, we just centered ourselves through a moment of silence and balance. And whatever people were going through, when we finished a moment of silence, some people were crying. It was painful because we learned of a loved one who had pancreatic cancer. Mm. And we wrapped our arms around that person. And then there's been other rituals where someone has reported we're having twins. Someone mm. else has reported that they got a promotion. Someone else has reported that they're moving to another country or they're moving to another state or that they got a house. Mm -hmm. And so I think we create those spaces. And I think that once again, not only are families cultural carriers, families also are the ones that socialize us oftentimes into being who we are. And so you may have a young person that comes out and says, hey, listen, I no longer believe in God. Mm -hmm. You may have a young person who says, everybody else is atheist, agnostic, and Scientologist. I actually want to take my Shahada. I actually want to become Christian. Whatever it is, we create the level of centeredness around these moments. And lastly, I think we can use these moments as a catalyst to say, we should not only meet when it's the festive occasion, and certainly we should not just meet in certain traditions when it's a funeral. There can be hosting parties where, you know, based on our schedules, we can simply say, as a family beyond Thanksgiving and Christmas, we're going to try to meet quarterly. And it's going to be at Casey's house. It's going to be at Uncle Chad's house. It's going to be at Aunt Maria's house or whomever. And I think that, once again, it's an opportunity to love on one another. We don't always have to agree. In my family, we have Republicans. Black people are not a monolith. In my family, we have individuals who say, 
Black Lives Matter, and the uncle will say, well, if it matter, why are they killing one another ad nauseum in the city of Philadelphia? It gets heated, but at the core of it is truth, love, and kindness. Mm-hmm. Mm. So I know a lot of you out there listening have younger kids as well as teenagers in the house, and I'm excited to share with you about a new show that you and your younger kids are going to love. It's called Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as math. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs. The series explores themes like the stories behind math, critical thinking, code breaking, pattern solving, and so much more. Math is geared towards kids ages six and up and can be enjoyed by the whole family. Episodes drop every Thursday and are about 15 minutes long, the perfect length for a car ride, mealtime, break times, or bedtime. Each is stacked with so much laughter that your kids won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. That makes me emotional, Chad. (laughs) You know, and I think it's so interesting too. I mean, considering the work that you do and the work that I do, it just feels normal to have these moments that are really deep and emotionally connected. And when I'm sure this happens for you as the therapist of the family, when we present this opportunity, it's so interesting to watch how people sit inside of these opportunities to go deeper with each other. I was at my dad's, I think, 75th birthday, and I brought these little cool deck of cards that I have that prompt everybody, you know, you pull a card and it's, you know, tell the oldest person at the table four things that you appreciate about them. I slid a card under everybody's plate. They didn't know they were there (laughs) till after dinner. And I said, hey, I want to play a game. Look under your plate. And it was both like, deeply uncomfortable, but also like so appreciate, like you could just feel that the invitation is typically not there for us to connect underneath all of these things, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, the cultural things that, you know, live inside of the family or live inside of, you know, however we identify. And then to kind of break through all of that and facilitate opportunities to really see each other is so powerful. And there are tools like these little deck of cards. There's Mm -hmm. so many different ways that we can facilitate that. The other thing that I am hearing the through line of everything you're saying, and I've talked about this a lot lately on the podcast, is the invitation to be present, just to be present and to really like break through the armor or, you know, the humanness of us. Yes. To connect spirit to spirit, soul to soul, essence to essence, and to be with these people that we 
are related to, are relating to, are in relationship with, and to come with this place of curiosity and wanting to connect and that belonging and significance piece, right? We're wired to belong. We're wired to know that we matter. And that is equally as true for, you know, the grandparent who is set in their ways as it is for the Gen Z 15 year old who is large and in charge around, you know, the issues that are Gen Z. And like, I think when we can play with and help our kids really understand that, like, I remember when Obama was the first round of him running for president, I was canvassing. Mm -hmm. I had the kids in the wagon. It was so exciting. And I was getting regular emails from my dad just about how terrible Democrats are, basically. And first I said, you take me off of this list. Like, I don't (laughs) need these emails. I love you. No, thank you. And then I just had to stop talking to him during the election season and which broke my heart. I'm the oldest. I feel like I'm daddy's girl. I don't know if he thinks I'm daddy's girl, but I want his approval, right? I just, I do. And my brother said, you know, Case, you and dad are the same. You're Mm. just on opposite ends of this political spectrum. But neither one of you want to budge. Both of you want to be seen in Mm. your truth. Mm. And that's what's keeping you from being able to relate in this context. Mm. You're the same. And it was the perfect thing for him to say to me. We're still not very good at talking politics, but (laughs) knowing like the reason it's hard for us is because we're so alike. Yeah. Kind of lightens the heaviness of like, I don't understand your point of view in politics. So, I mean, just that belonging and significance piece, we all are wired for it. We're all wired for it. Did you hear your scenario, Casey? I think about, and these terms that I'm getting ready to articulate are not germane to a form of religiosity or spirituality, but grace and mercy, right? Mm -hmm. And my family, oftentimes I struggle specifically with those in college when when we're talking about things, because not only did I go to HBCU, I went to PWI. What's a PWI? Predominantly white institution. Okay. We have our own acronym. I did not realize that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, I'll have family members who will talk about the benefits of the HBCU, Historical Black College University. And I'll talk about both and how I used Mm -hmm. undergrad for Johnson C. Smith HBCU, but it also prepared me to go to an all-white institution where maybe at the time that I went to Penn, there was not a lot of diversity. There was not a lot of equity. There was not a lot of inclusion and belonging. Sometimes those conversations can get polarizing, right? Because not every family member has read what you read. Like the example that you just unpackaged between your dad and yourself. In certain communities, the whole entire family, I work out, out of Harrisburg. I know some of my staff, where they come from around the state, the entire family is Republican. And here this daughter is working for a Democrat governor. And I'm Mm -hmm. talking about one of my staffers who formerly worked for Governor Wolf. You look at what happened with Derek Chauvin and George Floyd. Certain communities, people say, when the police tell you to do something, you do it. Why was he resisting arrest? Other communities will say, well, in our communities, it's because of fright. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, where one person is simply saying, you know, something from the perspective of why is that person running from the police officer? Someone else may say, well, why is that particular police officer 
patrolling while racist, right? And so, you know, you're gonna have law enforcement in your family, specific to the African-American community. I have law enforcement in my family, but I'm doing Canadian TV on what happened to George Floyd. And we're sitting mm -hmm. at the dinner table and they're not saying anything about George Floyd. And then prior to that, they didn't say anything about Mike Brown. And prior to that, they didn't say anything about Tasha McKinnon. But then we also have family members that we go over their homes and the conversation is centered around a nephew who's 24 years old on his third child by three different women. And, you know, the great aunt, she sat there and she's like, yo, when are you going to stop being a breeder? And I'm like, whoa, did she just go there? You know? Oh my God. Families are so crazy. Yeah. There's such this microcosm of mixed bag. Like you just, yes, thank you for that because it is, it is. And I'm hoping that everybody that's listening is like, yep, we've got all the people too. We've got all the people around the table and everybody's got a lived experience. Everybody has, you know, opinions that have been formed through our lived experiences, through our exposure to whatever we choose to read and listen to and watch, yeah, right? Yeah. All of these things are true. And we're here to celebrate Thanksgiving or, you know, like let's watch a football game. Yeah. And that's <laughs> the beauty of it all, right? Is that, you know, certain communities have certain vernacular. It doesn't matter where we come from, right? And in my community, when we're eating someone's macaroni and cheese, someone may say, man, uh, peaches, she put her foot in that macaroni and cheese, which just is a euphorism for, man, she really killed it, right? The food is really good. But when I've brought white colleagues over and white friends over for some of our rituals and festivities, Chad, why would you eat her macaroni and cheese if she put her foot in it, right? Oh. But when they've taken me over to their homes for festivities and rituals, you know, everybody's a hugger, everybody's a kisser. In full transparency, our family of late has learned how to hug and kiss primarily because some of the touches in the Lassiter and Patterson family, as you can see, I'm super transparent, mm -hmm. has not always been good touches. And so yeah. when I started going over to other cultures, the Hispanic culture, some of the white culture of South Philadelphia, where Italian grandmothers are grabbing me by my cheeks and kissing me, and I'm looking at one of my buddies and I'm just like, yo, Leo, man, your grandmother, yo, I love that, right? Because my grandmothers, they showed their love and affection through comments and not hugs right and mm -hmm. so then i would mm -hmm. learn from other cultures how to hug and with my family my mom is 82 beautiful woman she raised us my dad raised us but they were not huggers right about a couple of months ago and i've been doing this often a couple of months ago my mom has parkinson's i leaned in she was fussing about something and i said oh her life alert that's a family ritual for thanksgiving i said mom you need to have your life alert if you're not coming to thanksgiving with my wife stella and i I don't need life alert. I just leaned in. I kissed her on the cheek. I put the life alert around her and her eyes just lit up. And so mm. I learned that from Italian culture growing up in Philadelphia. I learned that from Jewish culture. I learned that from Hispanic culture, whereas though in my family, once again, not a lot of touchy-feely. So I think what you and I are trying to really say is the joyful courage that in these dark and decadent times, some people are going to see the Middle East conflict the way they see it. Some people are going to see the challenge in the nation the way they see it. Not every member of the family who is supportive of Donald Trump is a racist. Not everybody who's supportive of, you know, not voting, it shouldn't be ascribed to plenty. Well, you know, people die so that you can have the right to vote. We are cultural carriers, but we are part of a individual way there has to be beauty in our individualism, right? So mm -hmm. there's beauty in 
being collective. There's beauty and seeing things similar. But to your point, at the end of the day, you still love your dad. For your listening mm -hmm. audience, as a professor at both University of Penn and Westchester, at Westchester University, we have an assignment. And that assignment is a personal paper, a personal reflection paper. Interview the oldest adult in your family. Ask them a series of questions, namely the following. How would they feel if you marry same sex or dated same sex? How would they feel if you did interracial dating? How would you feel? And there's certain indices, Casey, in the listening audience. And I would always say the following. You're going to find out that grandmom is probably prejudiced, a bigot, engages in discrimination, or has some form of xenophobia. Love her and eat her peach cobbler. Mm -hmm. mm. Same thing with African-American mothers who would tell my brother and I, my mom in particular, and African-American mothers, some of them, not generalizing on stereotyping. If she can't take the comb, don't bring her home, meaning the curling iron. Mm. So we stayed on our side of the color line. It wasn't until I went to Johnson C. Smith University that it reinforced that because it's an HBCU. And then I go to University of Penn and I'm around a diverse community. And my white classmates will say, Chad, you do great when you're doing presentations, but every time we talk to you, you never look at us. And I'm just like, you know, I was kind of socialized. You don't look at white women and white young ladies in the eye. And mm -hmm. when I started looking at them, I started seeing the beauty of all people, mm. all people, right? And so I think that that's what we have to do as cultural carriers of the way we socialize. Not everyone was socialized into love. Some households are socialized into Noel has a scapegoat hypothesis, blaming someone else, right? Yeah. My state of Pennsylvania is ever-changing demographics, is becoming brown. We're looking at an increasing world where privilege is being confronted. People are doing anti-racism. They're becoming allies and accomplices. Young people are coming home now and they're like, no, mom, dad, I disagree with you. Mm -hmm. You're xenophobic, you're homophobic. Young people are coming home now and parents are saying to them, in this household, if you are not straight, this family disowns you. And so that's increasingly leading to homelessness. There's a lot of things that get swept under the rug. But once again, for you and I, and joyful courage, and for the listening audience, Martin Luther King Jr. has a quote. He said, we must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. So mm -hmm. I'm hopeful that the joyful courage and conversations are similar to a beloved community with a safe space, a brave space that people can be heard. Oftentimes, depending on culture, people talk over one another. But when I talk about hearing a person, hearing them with their spirit, that mm -hmm. in my family, in the Lasseter and Patterson family, you're not going homeless. We're going to let you know that in this family, there's a moral compass and a moral imperative. We don't castigate whites. We don't castigate Jewish individuals. We don't engage in Islamophobia. So in our household, aside from these rituals, but also because of these rituals, we bring out in our back pocket the theme of love, the theme of truth, the theme of kindness, the theme of looking at people through a kaleidoscope that we're all part of the human family. And guess yeah. what? We do it and we grub and we eat and then we nuke the food and we eat some more. Somebody <laughs> may drink and be married. Somebody might drink and trip over themselves. My <laughs> wife, she doesn't drink. So for her, it's just about being as we all become. Yeah, beautiful. Oh, Chad, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your work and just this conversation. I think it's a really important conversation. I mean, 
we're all wherever we are on that continuum of relating with our extended family and our community. And I think that, you know, a lot of what you've shared is really important pieces to be thinking about as the weeks ahead unfold. So I really appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thank you. And I, in the same way I started, I was humbled and honored to be in this space with you, Casey. And uh, to your listening audience, joyful courage, enjoy your festivities, your rituals, embrace them, promote them, share them all with the theme of bringing family together. Cause family at the end of the day is that sustainable unit that gets us yeah. through the happy times, the grief times, and some of the challenging times. Thank you so much. Yeah. If people want to get in touch with you, how could they do that? I'm on Twitter at Chad Lassiter. My email address is classiter, C-L-A-S-S-I-T-E-R at PA.gov. I'm on all social media, but primarily Twitter. And that email address is my state email address. Would love to have people engage so that we can share with them the wonderful work that we're doing at the Pennsylvania Human Relations Commission. We're the top civil rights enforcing agency in the state of Pennsylvania. Even though there's a surge of white nationalism and white supremacy in the state of Pennsylvania, there's a lot of Pennsylvanians who are working on themes of peace and justice. And that's what mm-hmm. I'm excited about. I'm not trending on one side and upset about where the current condition of Pennsylvania is or even the world, because the world is comprised of more people doing good, reducing the lesser challenges, increasing our greater angels. Casey, stay mm-hmm. in touch in any way that you want. I look forward to, you know, just continue this conversation. But with my family. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you so much. And everybody, the links and ways to contact Chad will be in the show notes. All right, have a beautiful day. Thank you so much for listening in today. Thank you to my Sproutable partners, as well as Chris Mann and the team at Podshaper for all the support with getting this show out there and making it sound good. Check out our offers for parents with kids of all ages and sign up for our newsletter to stay connected at besproudable.com. Tune back in later this week for our Thursday show, and I'll be back with another interview next Monday. Peace. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talked to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. 
and let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking